All right, folks, it is my great pleasure to welcome back Andy Sheckman, CEO of Miles Franklin. And folks, what a perfect time to get this gentleman back on. Andy, thank you so much for joining me right now. Yeah, it's great to be here, Zach. I've, uh, I've been looking forward to getting back and uh, it's been, it was great to meet you in person a few weeks ago back in Vancouver. But uh, man, I'll tell you, there's so much stuff going on right now. Um, it's been a blur. But uh, I think it's it's a great opportunity to sit down and, and chat here, and I'm appreciative for the opportunity. Sure has been moving quickly, hasn't it? And it was an absolute pleasure to meet you in Vancouver, some other big hitters in the room there as well with you. And I really thought that Jay Martin really set the tone with his first opening uh, speech where he's talking about building a moat before we build a castle. So we're going to kind of get into the opportunity later on after we go through the current events the crisis that we have at hand here. But that really set the tone for that conference. You really blew it away there when you took the stage. Like I said, there were some other big hitters, but but the main takeaway for me was the reason why we pick up some silver, some gold, some precious metals, some some more conservative plays here in the commodities is so that I can go take the risk. You know that I, I'm a crypto guy. I got just a couple cryptos. I don't like all of them. I think 99% go away, but there's a couple with utility that got me kind of interested. But for me, the reason why I can do that, right, is because I've taken a conservative position with some physical silver on hand as well, right? And so we're gonna we're gonna get into that, but I really thought it was a fantastic conference. Jay set the tone with that opening speech. And then you lit it up to what? What was the title again of the session that you had there, Andy? That was that was a really good one. You know, you you stumped me on that. I think it because uh, I've changed it a few times. I think it was well. Let me tell you, Jeez. like a change. It was like a changing new world. I'm sorry. I was going to look it up beforehand you know because I, I thought that it. Just as I feel embarrassed that I don't even know. I think it was. We may have to back this up and and uh, reverse this hang on let me see i apologize it was called so sorry man uh it's my bad i i was going to look it up beforehand i apologize andy let me find the exact name of it i suppose i should really know um I will tell you this, folks, there wasn't enough room. There was standing room only, and it was pouring out into the conference building to listen to Andy speak. And uh, he, he took it away once again. Great speech, Andy. It was Andy. called The Great Financial Reset, I believe. Let me just double check. Yeah, The Great Reset, How It Happens. So should have known that. <laughs> the Great I, Reset, uh, How It Happens. Yep. Yeah, you know, my brain is feels like a Nerf ball with how hard we've been working over the past few weeks. I guess I should have known that. But yes, it it's the great reset, the great financial reset and how it happens. And 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 I think that it's becoming more and more evident to me that that reset is already underway. Right. So we're going to get right on into that. Right now, we just saw the Fed has chosen to raise interest rates another 25 basis points. So they bring more pain. But on the back end here, they are erasing nearly two-thirds of the quantitative tightening that happened since last year, right? And they've basically 
told the big banks that you got a 100% backstop. Now, we're not allowed to call it a bail a bailout, Andy. Make sure we don't call it that. That's politically incorrect, right? We call it a backstop now. And all these different swap lines, all these different new funds, facilities, and programs to inject liquidity into the system, essentially bailing out and providing a backstop for all of the big banks. What has uh, you know been your main takeaway from the Fed's actions here? And, and, and how soon do you think a Fed pivot is coming? Well, you know, first and, and foremost, when you take a look at what's happened with the banks, I mean, what Janet Yellen did, as far as I'm concerned, is treasonous in the respect that they bailed out Signature Bank and, and, and Silicon Valley Bank, and they bailed them out. Everyone thought that that was now the new, uh, the new mantra, that these banks will all be bailed out. And uh, they, they, um, they did so and said that the taxpayer won't be on the hook for it. Now we know what that means. That means that they'll just create money and we'll all be on the hook for it through the loss of purchasing power in our currency. And, and that was what everyone believed for a little bit anyway, until the um, representative from Oklahoma who was grilling um, uh, Janet Yellen in front of a house committee, subcommittee, inquiry and, and says, well, you know, listen, um, Madam Secretary, you have uh, bailed out these banks and, and, and we understand that this is, is what's, what's happening now. So let me get this straight. If one of my constituents has $5 million in any regional bank uh, in the state of Oklahoma, is it true that they will be made whole? And she says, no. She says it will take a majority, an uber majority, as how she phrased it, uh, from the FOMC, the FDIC, the president and her himself, herself, uh, to decide if these banks are systemic enough to bail them out. Now, I mean, you have to realize that these small regional banks, there's 5,000 of them approximately across the United States. They represent... 70% of all of the loans to the small businesses in this country, Zach, and, and, and small businesses in this country traditionally amount to at least 40% of GDP. Uh, these are banks that have given small businesses loans based upon relationships and, uh, and, and, and some, in some cases, you know, generational where, you know, mom and dad started a business and now, you know, brother and sister start a business and, this has been going on. You've been working with the same small bank for, for years, or a farmer has $5 million worth of operational money or a small trucking company. This is no small deal. And what she just said was, no, we're judge, jury, and executioner. We'll decide who lives and who dies based upon the fact, are they too big to fail or not? In essence, this has created a massive run on the banks. And because these banks... You know, with interest rates at zero for the past decade uh, or near zero, these banks would give you a quarter of a percent in the savings account, and then they would throw their money into what was considered safe and conservative U.S. treasuries at 2% or mortgage-backed securities at 4%. Um, and that would have been considered safe. The problem is they have long maturities. And the other problem is that during covid the banks had the ability, thanks to the president, to remove all reserve requirements. So when you deposit $100,000 in the bank, it's not there. They'll take that 
and they'll take 99,000 of it and send it and buy treasuries at 2%. Well, a 10-year treasury at 2% is very conservative, right? Until you need to sell it prior to maturity in a rising interest rate environment. That's the problem. Interest rates have gone up to 5% on the 10-year treasury and 7 or 8% on the, on the mortgage-backed securities. And what do you have? You have an environment where these banks have nothing in the way of, of reserves. There's a reason or an impetus to withdraw money. Look at, at Credit Suisse as an example, where a billion dollars was pulled out in the fourth quarter. Whatever the reason is to pull money out of the banks, when they get redemption requests, they don't have the reserves to meet them. So what do they have to do? They have to sell what is considered a safe talk, an asset is now toxic. And that is a, a security, a bond or a mortgage-backed security that's lost 50 or 60%. And the banks have not been made to, to value those, those assets on their balance sheet uh, at, at market value. They're valued at par which means what you paid for them and when they have to be marked to market, when they have to be sold prematurely in order to come up with the cash to, to redeem for depositors, um, it's they're losing 50, 60%. And in the case of, of Silicon Bank in 24 hours, they went insolvent. So all of the banks who, who weren't risking and, and were doing things that were always considered conservative have been betrayed by this massive rapid escalation in interest rates. And this has caught the banks off guard and the fragility and the systemic nature of the banks, the, the way they're all tied together through derivatives has created a massive problem. Now, when she comes out and says, we're only gonna backstop the, the systemically too big to fail banks, what she has basically done is put a gun to the head of the small banks, lit a fuse with dynamite under every one of them. We've done over $100 million in sales in the past 14 days. We did $800 million and it was a record year last year. The point of it is, is that so many people are freaked out. They're either rushing to buy crypto, rushing to buy gold, or rushing to pull their money out and put them into the big banks like Wells Fargo and, and uh, Bank of America and whatnot. And, and this is creating a massive problem and the story is not over. It's going to get really bad before it gets better. And when you talk about quantitative tightening, 11 months worth of quantitative tightening, two thirds of it, as you mentioned, have been erased in two weeks. So we have signaled to the world that we are moving into a period of inflation, a continued inflation, and we will do what all governments have done since the beginning of time, and that is choose inflation over austerity, because there is no way they can backstop all of these banks. There's, there's, $120 billion in uh, FDIC backing over $9 trillion in deposits. It doesn't work. And so when you talk about backstopping these massive, too big to fail banks, where does the money come from? You print it. You print it out of nowhere, which is, creates massive inflation. And you saw what happened by printing $8 trillion over the last few years to inflation. What happens if you try to backstop globally these $19 trillion worth of deposits? when you're talking all the banks. And, and you know what's even crazier than that is people aren't even talking about something that happened recently. And that was the $20 billion lifeline to the Swiss Bank Corporation, the second biggest bank in the world in Switzerland that laid off 9,000 people and this close to going bankrupt. Quietly, they gave them $20 billion. This is a systemic problem. And you know th this is, is a problem that I think 
is is certainly in its infantile stages. I think you will see a myriad of bank failures and, and bank closures as more and more people pull their money out of banks who are then forced to sell their 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 treasuries and their and mortgage-backed securities at huge losses and one after the other they will all fall. What Janet Yellen did is 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 just beyond horrible. And that right there, folks, is is when you get a gentleman like uh Andy here, you just let him take the stage and break it down for you guys. You guys just got the full breakdown of the situation that we're currently in. And like Andy said, like I've been saying, we got a lot more pain on the way because if the Fed just leaves the situation as is with the rates, we've already killed off the real estate market. We've already brought in a lot of pain to Main Street. But then now, if we see them continue to erase quantitative time, continue to print, continue to do new forms of swaps, swap lines, liquidity injections, new funds, facilities, like you said, it took tens of billions of dollars to bail out Credit Suisse. And then if, if I'm not mistaken, they actually had, I heard a hundred billion dollar backstop, like insurance policy, like guarantee if it goes sideways, we got a hundred billion dollar backstop, which I wish I got to buy businesses and get that kind of backstop guarantee from the government. I mean, this is downright uh, almost nationalizing the banks, but it's definitely centralizing the banks. And this is the main thing that I'm seeing right now is that JP Morgan and others, the, the big boys and girls on Wall Street, are, are just basically picking over the carcass, the remnants of the small banks, and they're just waiting for the next one to fall so they can approach them on the other side of the boardroom and cut a deal to buy their business for pennies on the dollar. Is that what you're seeing too, Andy? That's 100% it. And, th and this is not even talking about the loans that these banks have. And how many of these loans are going to go bad? Um, <clears throat> and, and these small businesses, what happens when they lose their lifeline when their bank goes under these small businesses and, and the loans that they have. And I mean, this is a catastrophe waiting to happen. And yes, it's exactly right. They will scoop them up at pennies on the dollar. And what about these credit default swaps? Kind of what you alluded to right there, the insurance, if you will, a credit default swap, a one-year credit default swap is traditionally the, the main gauge for the health of a bond uh, or, or, or a bond that's issued by a company. And so what, what happens is when a bond is, is used as collateral for a, for a derivative or for a trade, they often will insure them or reinsure them with another company like AIG who will pay uh, or they have to pay to have that, the risk of that bond failing um, insured. And, and this is why AIG had to be bailed out in 2008 because the, the, the nature of, of Lehman and Bear going down would have brought uh, Bear Stearns, or would have brought AIG down, and all these banks going down would have brought AIG down. Well, what happens now when it's been levered many times over? So when you talk about credit default swaps, take a look at Deutsche Bank. They're, the price of their credit default swaps has gone through the moon right now, or through the roof right now, because of the risk of insuring obligations that they've made, promises that they've made. So the cost of doing that is an indication of the health and safety of, of that institution. And it's only it's getting worse. And yes, you will see a major consolidation of these banks like Credit Suisse, which will be bought for pennies on the dollar like UBS did with Credit Suisse. And I think there'll be more and more and more of those. And, and this is our way to socialized banking and a central bank digital currency. Now, I'll, I'll take you down a rabbit hole just for a moment, just to think a little bit outside the box. 
you know, I don't know what this all means and I don't know how this all plays out, but Lael Brainerd was the second in charge at the Fed. I thought Lael Brainerd would be appointed uh, the Fed chairman, um, replacing Powell when Powell's term was up and he would had to have been reappointed by Biden because he was a Trump appointee. And I was wrong and they made Lael Brainerd number two at the Fed. She had come from the treasury she now is number two at the Fed, and she just left the Fed to uh, head up the economic economic advisory uh, committee for, for the president in the White House. Lael Brainerd's whole thesis as she was applying or running for chairman of the Fed was a modern monetary theorist whose whole thesis was abolishment of the central of, of the commercial banks and payments to and from the central bank, whether if they need to uh, spur on growth and inflation, they give you money. And she even said, even though it's controversial, she thought if we had to slow things down, they take money from you or put a time signature on it where it has to be spent over a certain period of time as a central bank digital currency. But what's interesting is her thesis is the abolishment of the commercial banks. So if you wanted to do that and you wanted to issue a central bank digital currency, what better way to start the process rolling than to light a fuse under the 5,000 regional banks and push everyone into a handful of the biggest banks in the world, four or five of them, and then let those banks fail or let one or two of them fail and watch the carnage that ensues because of the systemic nature where a bank like JP Morgan has over 51 trillion in derivatives. I mean, good luck. It's over. It, the whole system blows up until you have the Federal Reserve and their white horse called CBDC roll in and issue a new system. It's the Great Reset, possibly, as would be orchestrated by someone like Lael Brainerd. But all I can tell you is that what they are certainly attempting to do is consolidate the banking industry and freak everyone out enough to pull out of these regional banks. And the carnage that that is, is going to bring on over the next couple of years, I think is going to be very frightening because most people don't have a clue. Zach, most people don't sit and watch you and I and listen to you and I. We are speaking to the minority. It's growing, mind you. You know, when you see states like Missouri and Wyoming and Tennessee and Mississippi and Texas and Alaska and Idaho, these states are talking about allowing, and several of them have already allowed gold to be part of, of the treasury, gold and silver, and now are wanting to allow them to be uh, legal tender for all debts, public and private, because of what is happening in this world. And when you get a representative from Idaho stand up on the legislature floor, God bless them, just like Representative Mooney of West Virginia. And he says on the floor in Idaho, we need to let our people do what the central banks around the world are doing. And that is by gold because of the mismanagement of, the, of monetary policy and fiscal policy. And, and so there are people that are sounding the alarm in the mainstream for the very, very first time. But unfortunately, most people in middle America who have invested with the same bank and the same banker who they play poker with on Friday nights or golf with on Sunday mornings or go on walks with these people who are part of their local communities, they have no idea what's coming. And when these banks get ripped out, forced to then do business with a handful of big banks where these banks would lend money to people based upon relationships, um, now you're gonna have to beg for scraps from some of the biggest banks in the world who have no interest in making any loans right now out into an economy that is as risky and fractured as this one is. This is a very, very scary thing because the whole world works on credit. Let me just show you what I mean by that. Let me show you how much credit it takes to get a loaf of bread to the store. So you start with a farmer 
the farmer uses credit to buy the combine and the diesel fuel and the seeds to plow his field. <clears throat> then he, 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 he plows his field of grain and he puts it on a truck. The trucking company uses credit for the trucks and the diesel fuel and, 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 and the maintenance and all of that. And that trucker has to bring the, the grain right to, to the, you know, to the, to the, to the, wherever they, they refine it and turn it into flour, right? To the flour mill or to the, to the grain mill. And they bring it there and they're working on credit in order to run their operation. And then they, they refine it into flour and give it back to the trucker who's working on credit, who then brings it to the baker who's working on credit, who turns it into bread and then delivers it by truck again, who's working on credit to get it to the grocery store who's working on credit to put that loaf of bread on the shelf. The amount of credit that is used to get you know, a loaf of bread to the store from the farmer all the way, that whole cycle, everyone's working on credit. Most of these small businesses with the small regional banks, now what? This is a very scary deal. And I think people don't quite understand that this, this system works on credit. And if you yank the, the availability of credit and put it in a small group of very powerful banks, this is, this is not something that it speaks to what has made this country successful. And what has made it very entrepreneurial, uh, it has become anything but that. And if you're not close to the top and know these people or have perfect credit with tons of collateral, you're dead on arrival. This is something that speaks, I think, to, um, to very scary times ahead. And I wish to God that I w wasn't saying that, but it is what I believe. Yeah, and it's interesting how bold they now are talking about the CBDC and even Christine Lagarde going as, as far as basically saying that this is the only way that they can maintain power and control and, and, and for the central banks. And then I had shared a tweet there with you too. We saw her today talking about how they're meeting at the BIS Innovation Hub in Frankfurt and Paris too, I believe. And, and, and basically you're seeing the Western kind of global elite alliance basically allow America to lose this reserve currency status, or at least it come into question. Because what we're seeing is we're finally starting to see our allies, our, our once quote unquote partners like Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates just announced that they're going to be paying Kenya in the Kenyan shilling for their oil. Now, if you think that that is the only deal that is happening right now that involves doing trade outside of the United States dollar, that would be very naive to think. There are hundreds of countries as you go through the list. I, every one of your interviews, you go through the list and you name off another dozen countries that have joined BRICS. And if they haven't joined formally, they've joined informally in other trade deals, right? Just because they're not part of the official BRICS alliance, uh, maybe on paper yet, many deals are happening. And, and like I said, how, how, how it is now in the mainstream media, Andy, over the weekend, like you said, the masses are asleep. And now we see two clips that just came out from CNN and one from Fox News admitting the de-dollarization process is here and the rest of the world is dumping the U.S. dollar for trade, for, for all the trade of all the commodities that you're talking about. Then the other thing, too, is the debt. We're going to talk here in a second about the debt and what, what China is doing to, to these developing countries and providing debt denominated in their currency, right? And then they're doing... Um, that they're dumping our treasuries now at the fastest pace in a decade. So they're dumping the dollar for trade. They're dumping our treasuries. 
and they now have systems of trade outside of the US dollar, and they are actually going through the currency reset process faster than America. They went through the crisis faster. Problems are much worse in many of those countries, but now we're finally starting to see it hit home. But Andy, how many other deals do you think have been signed here? How many other countries are done with the dollar, whether they're official BRICS members or not? I mean, how quickly is this really accelerating this whole process? Well, <clears throat> try to remember all the things you said. First of all, it's important to note that Mexico has formally applied to BRICS. Right. Our ally to the south has formally applied to BRICS. Now, there's a long way to go before they actually are accepted, but they have, um, as has Turkey, who has bought more gold than any country on the planet for uh, the last year. And then again here in January, bought more gold than anyone in, in the world um, in January. And of course, now there's rumblings that Japan is talking about joining the BRICS, which would stick a knife right into the neck of the West, including Australia and New Zealand are contemplating joining BRICS. But you know, when you talk about what happened in Kenya, uh, their, their acknowledgement of dealing with Saudi and the United Arab Emirates to use Kenyan shillings instead of U.S. dollars, I encourage everyone to Google that and watch the speech that the president gave. It'll blow you away and within the first 30 seconds. And basically what he says in the first 30 seconds is, I'm telling all of you who own dollars to get rid of them because within the next few weeks, this whole system will be different. He just said that publicly. Well, what the hell does that mean? And when we talk about, you know, the the countries that are working together, Saudi Arabia and, and Turkey um, have worked in terms of bilateral relationships. Uh, Iran, Iran and Iraq, in a deal that was just brokered by China, have uh, are in the currently in the final stages uh, on the first rail connection, railway, train rails between the two countries in history. Uh, and, and this can also stretch into Syria and Lebanon, which are part of the southern quarter of the Belt Road Initiative. They're all, this is all planned. How about the fact that what they're all missing is Iran and Saudi Arabia, uh, Sunni and Shiite, they've hated each other forever, have just now again on another peace deal brokered by the adult in the room, China, have just set up diplomatic relations. They are, they are mending broken fences. They are letting bygones be bygones. And they are building embassies in each other's countries. For the first time, they hated each other. But their enemy's enemy is their friend. And China sees this by promoting mutually beneficial agreements that will allow these countries to get out from underneath the thumb of the West, to break free of the hegemony of the West, and the hypocrisy. You also have other Gulf states who have cut ties with Iran in the past, like the UAE and Kuwait, and they've already restarted relations with them. These are massive, massive, massive deals that aren't being talked about by the West. And yes, the West has acknowledged, I saw the Fox and I saw the CNBC uh, or CNN deal where they're talking about the BRICS and, the, and these uh, alliances that are that are being made, but what all of them are missing is what happens when the switch gets flipped, when all of these countries who are moving outside the dollar actually do move outside the dollar. What does that mean? And that is the great reset in and of itself, because every country on the planet, Zach, has had to own dollars since 1974. I mean, you go back to World War II. At the end of World War II, the dollar was anointed the world reserve. Yeah, it was backed by gold. But until 1971, when we when they closed the gold window, every country in the world had dollars. And then three years later, 
when the relationship between Saudi Arabia and the United States was cemented with military protection for the for the arrangement of being oil being sold exclusively through OPEC in dollars, well, every country in the world has had to own dollars since 74 in order to buy oil. And so every country on the planet is flooded with dollars way more than are here in the US. And when that switch is flipped, when when all of the OPEC producing countries are on the Belt Road Initiative, every one of them, um, Saudi Arabia is applied not only to the BRICS, but also to the Shanghai Cooperation Organization. You have, which represents 60% of human population, and they came out, the Shanghai Cooperation Organization has publicly said they want to issue a gold-backed settlement currency for the entire Eurasian landmass. What has the BRICS nation said? We want to issue a settlement currency or a reserve currency pegged to commodities. What is the Chinese petro-yuan bond? A bond that is immediately convertible into gold on the Shanghai Gold Exchange and the petro bond. That means countries like Iran have been sidestepping sanctions for years now by selling their oil to China for the petro-yuan bond, which they immediately convert into gold on the Shanghai Gold Exchange. What is the common denominator here? It is the only other asset that has been um, uh, lifted to tier one status, gold. US dollars and gold are tier one reserve assets. And this is why the central banks are voraciously accumulating it. It will be the glue that makes this all stick. The rallying cry is the, the suppression of the markets, the bullying, uh, the sanctions, the, um, the mismanagement of the world reserve currency, all of the things that are making these countries form these alliances will be cemented with commodities pegged to a distributed ledger, to a blockchain. And I think that is how it works. This is how you roll out the new central bank digital currency of the BRICS nations or a, a gold-backed uh, settlement currency uh, on, for the, the, um, uh, the Shanghai Cooperation Organization. The, the, the digital yuan has been operational for over four years now, and, and it's done close to 30 billion in transactions. So I guess all I'm simply trying to say to you is that you can see the handwriting on the wall. And I've been using lately this example of the game Jenga. I don't know if you've ever played Jenga where there's all those little blocks and you pull one out at a time. Yeah. Well, Kenya dumping the dollar to, to use its shilling in favor uh, you know, for oil purchases in and of itself is meaningless, but it is another little piece out of the Jenga pile. And one of these days, it all falls over. And that's when Saudi Arabia and OPEC standing arm in arm uh, on a stage with the, all the BRICS countries and the Belt Road, the 150 countries on the Belt Road, all of them saying, hey, thanks for the memories, but we're now going to open up oil until the BRICS currency is up and running or until the, the, the settlement currency is up and running. We are going to um, only take now... Um, the new, or we're going to take the petro yuan bond, or we're only going to take rupee or ruble or gold or whatever it is, bang, like that. Every country on the planet dumps dollars. There is your great reset. There is your Operation Sandman. There is that moment where the dollar gets forsaken globally, hits and hits our shores in a tsunami of inflation and interest rates spike to the moon in response to a dollar that is, 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 is hyperinflating. And that's when everything collapses. And if you think the bank balance sheets look bad at 5%, what do they look like at 15 or 20? It's, 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 um, it's Armageddon. And, and I think you can see this accelerating. And when you see our allies like Mexico, like Saudi Arabia, like Turkey, like Egypt, 
all of these countries saying, hey, thanks, but, you know, and rumblings that Japan, who's been shedding their one trillion in treasuries at the fastest pace ever, and Australia and New Zealand talking about it. Well, why would they do that? Because they see that the West is stupidly antagonizing the world by saying, we're going green, all right? And 90% of the world is not. And that's who all of these countries are, are uniting with, those countries who are not going green, those countries who are going to forge an alliance against the West. And by us going green, we are turning our back on the Saudi way of life, like it or not, and we will lose the petrol reserve status. And maybe this is intended. Every bit as much as blowing up the regional banks is intended. Every bit as much as weaponizing the dollar was intended to make every other country on the planet say, shit, are we next? What did the European Union just say to Russia? Well, we're not just sanctioning your funds. We're actually confiscating them. We're not giving them back. We're going to use it to rebuild the Ukraine. How do you think that makes the rest of the world look at us, the bullies, where a country like us can go into Iraq, who just said they're going to <clears throat> do international settlement with China in yuan, not in dollars. A lot of thanks they have for us, but why would they thank us? We came in and blew up their entire country under the guise of weapons of mass destruction. Oops, sorry, they weren't there, and there's no repercussions for us. But when you look at, and I want to just phrase something one way so people can look at things differently, right? Why does the world sympathetic with Russia? Much of the world is. Because imagine this, imagine this for a moment, right? So you have um, Mexico, who has just formally applied to the BRICS. Long ways away from them being there, but let's say five years from now, they're deeply entrenched with the BRICS, who is also going to have a military presence. The Shanghai Cooperation Organization, part of their charter is military. So what if 10 years from now, eight years from now, we have um, BRICS nations comprised of China and Russia and other military stationed in Mexico, right outside the Texas border? I mean, how would that make us feel? Why do you think Putin feels the way he does as, as NATO is encroaching into the Ukraine and Finland, places that they agreed would never do? How do you think that makes them feel? How would it make you feel if you lived in the United States, if you have missiles, <clears throat> missiles and military bases pointed at the United States from just a few miles away? This is what's going on, and the rest of the world looks at it that way, and we don't because our media brainwashes us to only see things in one particular fashion. And this is the kind of, uh, of hypocrisy that the, that the world is rallying against. Now, I'm not condoning anything military. I'm not condoning a war. I just want to open people's eyes. This is why 85% of the world is still trading with Russia. This is why this is a much bigger deal here in the West than it is in the rest of the world, because they see the hypocrisy of it. You know, it, it's no different than having missiles in Cuba. Well, that almost started World War III. Why is it any different when we do it to another country, but if they decide to do it to us, it's different. This is the problem where it is a hip hypocritical way of doing things. And the rest of the world has never been able to challenge until now. And this union, it's like everyone in the sixth grade standing up to the one big bully or the two big bullies. And finally, when, when they've all had enough, they meet them out on the schoolyard and say, we're done with you. And, and that's, what's happening and i hope i'm wrong but you look around and see and it's becoming more and more evident that these things are accelerating in pace and i think this is just the very beginning and i, and I see that in my comments now i'm going to share this story and share this example because it, it, it for me is my gauge 
So for, the, for those of you who know, I have a big platform on TikTok. I read a lot of the comments and I get a very good gauge of where the masses are at when a video goes viral. So I posted a video yesterday talking about this de-dollarization process and it was just a quick little video. It got over, you know, 100,000 views in the last 24 hours and I'm reading through, there's hundreds of comments of people telling me that the dollar's still fine. Everything's fine here in the United States. I posted another video last week where I said, Andy, I just said, we can't afford Ukraine. Whether you support the war or not, our country is broke, bust, $30 trillion in debt, over $100 trillion in unfunded liabilities. Whether we want to support Ukraine or not, we're actually broke as a country. And I get hundreds of comments below that video of, of basically just, just programmed bots that, that, that want to support this cause. They have no idea what's happening before, before us right here. And, I, and this is to all of those people out there, okay? <clears throat> Janet Yellen had to, as she called it, go to great measures to raise the debt ceiling a month ago. Do you know what those great measures were? No. Those great measures were, and, and before I tell you what the great measures were, I had to search like hell for it. And I finally found it on a Yahoo Finance article. And the very next article says, before I tell you what was in this article, says, oh, and by the way, we've just given another $40 billion to the Ukraine, including um, pensions to their government. Now, mind you, we have a $1.75 trillion shortfall in pensions here in the pension funding here in the United States. And we have given the Ukraine over $115 billion. Now, what did the article say? The article said the great, um, she called it extraordinary measures to raise the debt ceiling. She had to borrow. Well, by the way, the 2022 um, balance sheet for the Fed, the government just came out and it said very succinctly that there is a $76 trillion underfunded Social Security. $76 trillion, that plus Medicare, Medicaid, government, military pensions, it's over $100 trillion just there alone in unfunded liabilities. So we are broke and insolvent. But in order to, just like in Social Security, 76 trillion and a trillion seconds ago was 31,688 years ago. But this is to those people. Do you know what she did to raise the debt ceiling? She borrowed money from the Civil Servants Retirement Fund, the Postal Service Retirement Fund, and the Disabled Veterans Retirement Fund to borrow money to give to the Ukraine. I mean, it's how sick. stupid you got to be? How stupid you have to be where $5 billion to build a wall to keep our children from dying of fentanyl poisoning is the number one cause of death for teenagers right now. Fentanyl poisoning pouring in on the southern border and 5 million plus people entering illegally, but $115 billion to the Ukraine, which is antagonizing and precipitating World War III and global de-dollarization. But that's okay. These people have their head up their ass so far, it's not even funny. And I'm sorry for, for speaking that way, but it bothers me to the nth degree. These people have no idea from what they speak. They have no idea about anything other than what the stupid media is telling them. Think about this for a minute. We are destroying this country. We are 
bankrupting this country. And these people's children will be slaves. Either that or they will be a great reset and we will hit the greatest of all depression. But think about that for a minute. We are borrowing, we had to borrow over $700 billion just to pay interest on the loan. And that was money that we borrowed to begin with. We're borrowing money to pay interest on money we borrowed. And then we think it's okay to give $115 billion to the Ukraine, but not $5 billion to build up a wall to keep illegals with fentanyl coming in or to build up our failing infrastructure. It is so upside down, it's not even funny. We should give the, the Ukrainian government pensions. That's our job to do when there is almost a $2 trillion pension shortfall in this country. Our leaders are so upside down stupid, it's not even funny. And for the people who are pushing back on you, you know what? Uh, they need to take a, a, a lesson in in reality right now because they have been brainwashed by media that has them looking at everything from the complete and total wrong perspective. It bothers me so bad I can't even I can't even say. Folks, we got Andy dialed in here today. I love it, brother, and I'm 100% right there with you. And I call this the greatest transfer of wealth in world history. And many people are going to be on the wrong side of this transfer. You know, and I, I just continue to ask the question, I kind of push back and I say, how's your program working out? Being politically correct, being woke, going broke, still complaining. And then I have sympathy, though, for the common man or woman on Main Street, though, that's actually getting caught up in this. So part of me, I, I some of these people, I'm like, how stupid can you be? This is causing countries around the world to dump our treasuries at the fastest pace in 10 years. They're doing trade outside of our currency. And you're just trying to figure out what you're going to do uh, when the next barbecue you're going to have in the backyard is going to be. I'm worried about Americans that are asleep at the wheel. Some of them are stupid and, 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 and really we can't save them. But for the people that are actually trying to figure out what we can do to be on the right side of this transfer of wealth, I've been talking about uh, you know making sure that we still have cash flow. During a time with record inflation that we haven't seen in 40 years, we got to bring in the paper, the dollar that's dying and fading away. We got to bring in more and more of it to be able to feed our families. And that's just the facts, right? So I'm talking about building recession-proof businesses, okay? And then with our profits, with our extra money, hopefully we have a little bit left over, we start to look at what do we do for investing or for those listening who have 401k pensions that are on the verge of going bust, 401ks that are having a rough go at it. The 60-40 portfolio had its third worst year ever last year. Bonds had their worst year ever in history last year. What do we do, right? For me, it's been commodities, a couple cryptocurrencies with utility. And as a first-time home buyer, I'm looking to buy my first property. I have cash on the sidelines, and I'm patiently waiting to buy my first real estate deal. And for those who understand real estate, I think there's going to be some good opportunities. But more pain's on the way for the real estate market. The reason why I like real estate is because it's a packaged-up commodity all the lumber, all the copper that goes into building that house, and then the labor, you're buying that at a fixed cost, and hopefully you can make the property cash flow. There's there's, there's a good play to be had there, but you got to know what you're doing. We're not in, I call it the participation trophy market for the real estate investors that we had over the past you know decade, where, where we really just, you know, uh, and, and over the last couple years in particular, Andy, the amount of liquidity that they injected into this system allowed everybody to get a participation trophy and call themselves a winner, whether it was starting up their business, whether it was calling themselves a real estate investor. Now we're figuring out where the real value is. 
we look at this commodities versus equities ratio and what the rest of the world is doing to counter the reserve currency status and to build a new economy and a new financial system, like you said, it's all commodities, real resources that actually run the planet. And so you're seeing the money pour out of the high-flying overpriced equities. Crypto has been killed. We've seen $2 trillion of that market cap wiped out. And we're seeing uh, the commodities start to break out. Gold uh, breaking above 2000 here recently. Silver still getting ready here and absolutely primed now. By a lot of metrics, people say that silver should be at $60, $65 right now, just off the historical ratio, gold to silver, right? So we're starting to see this. This is the opportunity. This is what the average American who doesn't want to be asleep at the wheel actually wants to take advantage of this opportunity. How big is this move into commodities on the way or already uh, began here? How are you seeing this thing? As someone who's actually facilitating and, and, and selling the precious metals, Andy, you have a unique perspective. What are we seeing right now? You just said uh, you, you've been doing a lot of business here recently. Yeah, I mean, uh, a massive amount of business, more so than we've ever done ever in, in my career. But, you know, it, it's it's happening globally. It, it, everything is disappearing. And it's not just the um, uh, gold and silver market. You look at the London Metals Exchange last year, they came out and said 95% of their zinc was delivered off the exchange. Over 75% of their aluminum was delivered off their exchange. There's a man named Zoltan Pozar who used to be the repo market guru for the New York Fed. And now he works for UBS and he understands the plumbing of the financial world better than anyone. And he calls this Bretton Woods 3, which is a system dominated by commodities. Bretton Woods 1 would have been basically, the well, it, it was when, at the end of World War II where allies met at Bretton Woods, New Hampshire. Bretton Woods 2 technically and informally would have been uh, in 1971, after the the we cut off the the gold window, and, and in 74, then we became the petrodollar. There's Bretton Woods too. This is Bretton Woods three, a system that will be dominated by commodities and transparency and things that you need to build an infrastructure, the real tangibles, not debt instruments and an opaque system, but a transparent system, maybe using blockchain uh, and real commodities backing the system and. It is true. The exchanges are being bled dry using suppression of, of price on the Western markets that give you tremendous leverage. Uh, you know, if I want to control a hundred ounce gold contract, 200,000 bucks worth of gold, I just need to have $7,500 in my margin account. Well, if I'm a central bank with a billion in my margin account, I can create whatever perception of reality I want. I drive down the paper price and scoop up all the physical when no one's looking because they're only concerned about price. And then I use more freshly created money to paper over my short. And that's what they've been doing for a very long time, little by little by little by little, not doing it all at once. It causes too much attention. It's the pot of frog and the pot of boiling water jumps out. But if you slowly turn up the heat, it falls asleep and dies. That's the theory, right? So that's what they've been doing slowly and, 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 and with methodically, suppressing the price, keeping it volatile enough to keep everyone out and draining the LBMA and draining the COMEX of their available stockpiles of silver and gold and, and aluminum and zinc and corn and soybeans and wheat and you name it and oil and oil production and gold mines and they are repositioning. <clears throat> what are they doing when they go into these countries in Africa or into South America or into the Middle East? They're not giving them money 
they're, what they're doing is they're going in there and they're building infrastructure. They're building ports. They're building railways. They're building bridges. They're uniting countries that have hated each other under common uh, and mutual benefit. They are uh, building gold and silver mines, oil refineries. They are building ways for countries to become industrialized, to become wealthy and, 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 and a vibrant middle class and, and to do things mutually beneficial, not only to China and the BRICS, but to these under-industrialized countries that have rich, that are rich in commodities, but don't have the wherewithal or the infrastructure to do anything about it. They're doing it the right way. And they are uniting the rest of the majority of the world in this pursuit against the West. And it's it's the Western suppression and the Western uh, plundering, you know, literally coming in and, and, and literally taking all of these resources for their own good instead of allowing these countries to to advance themselves instead of having everything taken from them and given to a very few, this will build up the entire infrastructure and allow a middle class to emerge and allow these other under-industrialized countries to have what we've had all these years. And we have squandered, we are squandering to the nth degree this privilege of being the world reserve currency. And, and it's really very frightening and very sad. And you can see it, you can see it if you look closely enough, Zach, I know you see it. I hope everyone else out there opens their eyes to it because this is just beginning, but it's accelerating. I have been talking about this. Go back and watch my videos from 2020. It's been the topic of every video I have done, nearly every video, thousands of them over the last three years, every single one of them speaking to the global de-dollarization, the loss of the petro status, and the squandering of the world reserve currency. And, and I think there's a long way to go uh, before people wake up. And that's the sad part. And if you are not a contrarian, you will be a victim. I really do believe when this is all said and done, he or she who loses least wins. That's how bad it will get. Right. You know, Andy, I wanted to make one point too. You've been mentioned here a couple of times how DLT technology, blockchain technology can be used to tokenize these assets, commodities, and how important that's going to be. I think what we're looking at right now too is it removes the trust so you know these countries don't trust each other they have one thing in common they want to get away from the us dollar they want an alternative right and and like you said they want to get developed uh you know develop ports and all this development that's taking place in these countries very important i wonder if they're going through all the environmental permits before they throw in all those ports and do all that construction andy be interested to see what process they go through because I know where I live, they make you do fifty thousand dollars in wetland mitigation to build a house on a five acre lot. But anyways, I digress. What we're what we're starting to see though is this transition's underway, it's accelerating, but they have one thing in common against the dollar. DLT technology allows them to actually tokenize this and put it on an immutable ledger that both sides can confirm, trust, and verify because these countries don't trust each other, right? That, that's the argument against it ever working. That's the argument that, that people would say, look at the, the euro. That's why it didn't work. Uh, they have different ideologies, different history, different work ethic, different everything. And they don't trust each other. They don't trust Brussels. They don't trust the Bundesbank, whatever. Um, this is the answer to that. And if you do it the right way, using distributed legend technology, showing the veracity and the immutability of what's pledged, having it audited and verified by independent auditors from each country or whatever it may be, you do it the right way, it's a home run. 
And that that I do believe. I really do. I think it is a home run and, and it is happening right before our very eyes. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it was it was fun getting to catch up with you in Vancouver. And I was telling you about this Ripple versus SEC lawsuit, kind of filling you in on it. And we're about to be getting the summary judgment ruling at, at, at any point here. But I just want to say, you know, to the corruption that you alluded to earlier, I mean, you described Janet, Janet, uh, I call her Janet No Telling Yellen, her actions is treasonous. And, you know, what we've exposed in this lawsuit is 100% corruption at the highest levels of the SEC. And now we see the CFTC just filed a lawsuit against Binance. As I said at the beginning, 99% of cryptos go away and there is a lot that needs to be cleaned up. And so we're, we're starting to see that process, but what we're seeing in this lawsuit in particular is the corruption of the SEC exposed. I think Ripple is one of the legitimate companies that's trying to use this technology to tokenize an internet of value is what they call it. And it's all about the commodities, the derivatives, the debt, all getting tokenized on a ledger that people you know, can actually can scale and be efficient enough to work with you know, settling trillions of dollars on a daily basis on these cross-border payment values. And then you also alluded to the amount of derivatives trading on a daily basis as well. There's quadrillions of dollars of value moving around, settling, being stored, and, and that needs to move somewhere, right? And what we see is the common thing of the United States losing the reserve currency status. I hope that people are, are awake to this fact now that even the mainstream media is admitting it. And you know, if the mainstream media is admitting it, that it's already underway. It's already, like you said, about to accelerate into hyperdrive. And so folks, down below in the link, down below in the description, I'm gonna put Andy's website and you guys can head on over to Miles Franklin and you guys can get some precious metals and he'll take care of you and let him know that Zach sent you, right? And, and Andy, can you just speak on the dynamics that you're seeing? It's it's flying off the shelf, or in this case, it's flying out of the vaults. Everyone, we're going to link it on down below. But Andy, it, I mean, it, it's moving quick these days, isn't it? Yeah, well, and I showed you real quick. I showed you um, before we started this, our new website. It's done. And we have two pieces that are left an integration that the tax software, there's still a handful of stupid states in this country that have not removed sales tax. It has to be integrated in and it's every county has different rules. So we're integrating that right now and the credit card processing, we're very close to launching it. Until then, they'll wanna send us an email at info at milesfranklin, info at milesfranklin.com, put Zach sent me, we'll make sure your listeners get the best price in America We'll send you a price list. If you find it offered by a, a major company uh, for less, we'll match it or beat it. You won't. Typically, we're the best in the country. Um, we'll answer any questions. We can help you with IRAs. Whatever you want, let us know. And um, that would be the best way to reach us. And I'm sorry, what was your other question? Um, well, it's just the, the, just the, the vaults. I, I wanted to, did you have any updated numbers? You know, like you said, these vaults are getting drained of these others. And so you already kind of alluded to, but specifically with silver and gold, I've been watching the COMEX vaults get drained, then they get filled back up and they're just getting cleaned out as quick as they can get filled up. Yeah, we, I think we've seen the 11th straight month in a row of, of um, gold deliveries. Um, and I think we've seen um, the, in terms of silver, uh, I don't have the specific numbers, but huge, huge amounts continuing in deliveries out of COMEX. It, it's not stopping. Let me see. I probably have it right here. Hold on. 
can probably give you the numbers. I think I do. Um, just double check real quick. I might not, but I usually write this stuff down. Uh, central banks added 77 tons of gold uh, in January. That's 192% month over month increase. The Central Bank of Turkey bought 23 tons. Um, here we go. Uh, I think this might be it. Nope, that's not it. Don't have the exact numbers, but I do know that it's been 11 straight months of um, deliveries off of Comex for gold uh, month over month. It continues to disappear. And, and the same thing with silver. I mean, we're down to 39 million ounces in the registered category, which is, you know, almost the, the Bank of India imported nine times that amount last year, over 304 million ounces. And so when you see the drawdown that we are seeing it to these levels, uh, it's nonstop. And, you know, one of the things that has made it a little bit hard to give you these exact numbers is there was a, a hack on the Commitment of Traders report on the COMEX where, you know, they get their numbers from a company in um, Ireland for whatever reason, and that company was hacked. And so the numbers have, have been months behind and they're just getting up to speed. But bottom line is we're seeing a nonstop progression of deliveries off of the exchanges. So it hasn't stopped and it's increasing. And I'm looking to see if I can find the numbers, but I don't have them here. I apologize. Next time we chat, I will have the exact numbers for you. But nonetheless, it's continuing to disappear off of the exchanges at a, at a very, very fast pace. Right. And, and that's why I said, you know, if folks are ready to make the allocation, if they're ready to make the move, I'm not here to give them financial advice, but I just would encourage to start the process, right? Because whether you're rolling over a 401k retirement of savings, or you're just looking to, you know, spend some, some cash, trade some fiat for a real hard currency, um, you know, we want to start that process because we had a 200 million ounce deficit last year. Like you said, some of these countries are just eating up the supply and we have no idea, you know, China and Russia are starting to report now uh, what they've kind of been doing and what they've been up to, but we know how they operate and it's hard to get good data out of those countries as well. And so we got to start the process folks, because they are running short. And I think that a supply shock is coming in. We actually have already seen it in some of the other uh, lithium was one last year that did a major run up. Like you said, it's already here, folks. And it's it's the move from the equities back into the real economy, uh, the, the the real value, which is commodities. And then, um, like you said, DLT is going to play a part. It's a home run is, is, is what you called it there. And I, I agree 100 percent, but 99 percent goes away. We still got a little ways to go here in this debt, currency and liquidity crisis. Uh, but it's an incredible opportunity for those of us that are prepared. Andy, it, it was just a great way uh, let, letting you go off here today and break down the situation. Folks, you can see that it's accelerating now. We were called crazy for talking about this years ago, right? And, and we were dismissed, uh, doom and gloom. And now it's it, it's really a matter of survival. And I just hope, like I said, that we can get our audience on the right side of this transfer of wealth. Any other uh, closing statements from yourself, Andy? You know, Zach, I would say trust your gut. Uh, we are in a period of time that is very much uncharted. 
And, um, you know, thank God that you're out there doing what you're doing, telling the public what's going on. And um, look, I mean, one number that just popped up, 10,000 tons of silver were taken off of the LBMA last year. They recently came out and said, if we see deliveries like this in 2023, there'll be nothing left. The biggest money in the world is front running what is coming. They are draining the, the, the exchanges and it is very difficult to do. It's a, a very sophisticated play. When you do that, it is not, you'd be, have a much easier time writing me a check for $20 million to take possession of metal when, you know, and I would deliver it to you instead of having to take it off of Comex, which is not easy. You have to be very sophisticated. And when this metal leaves Comex and the LBMA, it's never coming back because it loses its industrial liquidity for, you know, for, for uh, like maybe Elon Musk says, I'll pay $20 premium for every, uh, every ounce that people have in thousand ounce bars in Comex. Well, if they're getting delivered off the Comex to get them back in, they would have to be reintroduced in assay. That's not happening. They're leaving. They're going eastward. Trust your gut. Do not look at price. The biggest money in the world is using price as a tool of misdirection. And, uh, I just think there'll be a lot for us to talk about in the coming weeks, Zach. And, you know, I, I like the way that you look at things. And I like the fact that you're a younger guy who understands this. And um, I'd like to be able to come back again and, and, and you know, talk about what's happening. Because I have a feeling this is going to accelerate. And it's beginning to accelerate. I think in the coming weeks, we will see some real events, whether it be with our banking system or the further growing alliances with the BRICS and de-dollarization, um, whatever it may be, there's gonna be a lot to talk about. But I think the bottom line is for people is do what the biggest money in the world is doing. And, and that is mitigate your exposure to the US dollar. That is the most important thing. And if it means by buying XRP or buying, you know, that farmland that you want or that, that home that you want, even though I believe real estate has rough times ahead as rates rise or buying precious metals. I yeah. think you need to do that. And we're getting close to the 12th hour because the amount of availability, it starts at the top. And when you see the exchanges being bled dry methodically by the most sophisticated money in the world, who's closest to the information, when you see the central banks buy the second most gold in history, uh, the, um, <clears throat> the most since 1967, when you see countries that we've been allies with for forever, like Mexico and Saudi Arabia move to the other side, it's time to wake up. That would be my parting thought. And the precious metals allow me to sleep well at night, but then also go out and be willing to take risk on my businesses, right? On cryptocurrency, which is a very risky asset. But like you said, having that barbell portfolio approach, I can sleep well at night and go out and try to take massive risk because not massive risk calculated risk right because there is a tremendous amount of opportunity for those of us that are tapped in and and you've been a big part of helping wake up so many people so just so much respect to you andy and you're always welcome here it's been an absolute pleasure once again and like i said folks the link will be on down below get the precious metals coming because it's just gonna be a matter of who doesn't get their silver who doesn't get their gold as it's flying out of the vaults at a record pace so once again thank you andy it is always a pleasure it is too zach and again for your listeners info at miles franklin put zach sent me i will make sure personally that your listeners are getting the best price and, and whatever questions they need answered done the right way and um i look forward to picking up where we left off i'm sure there'll be a lot to talk about then absolutely 
Thank you so much, Andy. And God bless all of you guys on the way out. Let's smash that thumbs up. And I will see you guys in the next one. Take care out there. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of The Greatest Transfer of Wealth with your host, Zach Rector. Please remember to follow us over on Twitter, TikTok, YouTube, and Rumble. To get in touch, please just head on over to ZachRector.com. You can check out all of our affiliate links and get access to our exclusive Discord community over at the website. We appreciate all of you for tuning in, and all that we ask is that you share this message with other like-minded individuals. If you appreciate the show, feel free to go ahead and leave us a five-star review. We will see you in the next one. Take care and God bless.